Well, welcome to Open Outcry, where we roll from the close of the US trade and into the new trading session, where we take the pulse of the financial markets and we assess the key themes, the views, the flows, the movers and the shakers to help traders and investors efficiently navigate markets and risk. Open Outcry is, of course, an antiquated relic of the financial system, and it's fitting to have two dinosaurs in the trading world. As are your host, Mr. Scott Redford, Pepperstone's Head of Product and Senior Member of the Flowdesk, and myself, Chris Weston, Head of Research here at Pepperstone. Anyway, let's get to it. It's been a couple of days since we've done one of these podcasts, Mr. Redford. There's been plenty going on. I want to start with the, uh, the, the, you know, one of our favourite subjects, the, uh, the sporting world. Um, we've got a World Cup final, uh, Rugby World Cup final this weekend between Australia and Samoa or Samoa. Um, mm. Australia, have it in the bag. Tell me I'm wrong. Is there any way Samoa can get this one up? Well, I mean, we chatted about Samoa early in the piece, didn't we? And, and we thought there was a dud pick, but look at us now. Oh, egg on our like face us. every day. Yeah. Egg on our face. <laughs> That's right. Turned around a 60-point deficit against the, the Palms there. I know. So, if they can take them down, can they challenge the Aussies? I don't know. It's the the battle of the Penrith halves, Luai versus Cleary. <laughs> yeah. It's a Can they spring something? Um, you'd be a brave man to be putting your money behind the sidelines, but who knows? Oh, we're getting a dollar eleven for Australia, so you wouldn't be putting much money on that one, though. Although, in this market, if you can get eleven percent return for anything, you're doing pretty well. So happy days. But uh, Australia one got that in the bag. The soccer World Cup, football World Cup, comes up starts uh, you know this weekend. Um, now, maybe it's just because we're in Australia. Um, maybe because the venue is in Qatar. Maybe it's just sort of crept up on us. Who knows? But Scott, I can't remember a World Cup where I've, I've just felt less interested in, in what's going on. I love my football. I love my soccer. Um, mm. But I just can't remember a World Cup where I've just been less interested. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I think uh, your apathy is sort of echoed around the place, isn't it? I mean, what, why is that? Is it, are we World Cupped out? Are we exhausted from... Cricket World Cups, Rugby League World Cups in this part of the world. Is it the wrong time of year? Is it, you know, is it the is it the um, the venue, the host nation? The people oh. are reluctant to get behind it, given you know everything that goes along with it. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. You look at the opening match, Qatar versus Ecuador. That doesn't you know get you massively excited, does it? Great Maybe song though, Ecuador. Take One a of the best. Um, mate, England versus Iran. Um, yeah, I'll see if the the Poms are going to get that one done. But who wins the World Cup though? Where are we where are we putting our money? putting our money now the, the Brazilians are rightful favourites there they've got an amazing team but um, you know Argentina coming in second yeah, the English obviously surprise or disappoint every single World Cup and, and European Championship so you can imagine why why they play sort of you know fifth or sixth in terms of the money and then you've got Spain you can't rule out France or Spain as well so where, where, where's uh, Mr Redford's tip for the World Cup yeah, I did my bracket yesterday actually on, on Bloomberg there and I had um, France going a long way. I know that's not um, overly interesting. In terms of the your roughies, your dark horses, I had um, Denmark making a semi and, and Switzerland maybe even going close, close as well. So, uh, yeah. um, I don't mind the French. I don't mind there. the French. I don't mind the French. I think yeah. they, um, they've got a good team. But yeah, I think, crikey, if... Yeah, you wouldn't be surprised if Brazil wants Brazil take this one home. So we'll see. But yeah. uh, Argentina also a good one. So it could be pretty lively. I've just talked myself into really getting quite excited about the World Cup now. So uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it's going to be the Might most exciting World Cup ever. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. All right, um, let's have a look around the grounds overnight. Um, U.S. market finished mildly lower. Um, S&P and NASDAQ uh, down 0.3%. European markets were weaker early on, but they did push up through the second half of action to win pretty close to flat tax, actually just into the green. Um, in Asia, we did see weakness in Chinese markets in particular. 
following a strong couple of weeks. Hang Seng finished down 1%, um, some pointing to uh, a high number of COVID cases. Again, uh, if we look at the sectors on the S&P, utilities were the biggest drag, the likes of American Waterworks, other old-fashioned names like that. Uh, in the FX department, we saw we did, did see strength from the dollar early on, but gains were given back later in the session. Uh, some through a big miss in the Philadelphia Manufacturing Index. Commodities, uh, probably the most interesting space overnight. WTI had its biggest one-day drop since September. Front month down a whopping 4.6%. Brent down 3%. Iron ore was strong up 2.2%. Uh, rates and bonds, mate, talk to me. Yeah, well, um, the comments from James Bullard, St. Louis Fed President, did cause uh, a bit of a move in the front end. So, look, you know, we've got US two-year uh, two-year Treasuries up 10 basis points at 4.45%, obviously uh, eyeing that 450 level. Um, the back end of the curve, probably less prolific, but you are seeing some sellers playing through. Yields are moving higher. We've got uh, 10, 10-year Treasuries at uh, 3.76, up eight basis points of the day. Real rates have moved up again. Yeah, we've got uh, five-year real rates back inside the prior range at 159. Uh, that's probably where your dollar strength's been coming from a little bit. Uh, obviously, all eyes on the UK with their fiscal um, you know, uh, budget coming out. And uh, we didn't see as, as big a moves. Two-year gilts were up about 12 basis points, but probably more in line with treasuries. And, and the back end didn't really do much. We saw you know 10-year gilts up about uh, five basis points. We're going to the interest rate markets because we all know we, we like to, to, to see what's being priced in. Um, next Fed meeting coming out on the 14th of December for the Americans, 15th of December, you know, early morning for us here in, in Australia. Um, and the market there is pricing in 53 basis points. So 50 basis points, really the default situation there. Um, you can go into Australia, 6th of December's next uh, RBA meeting. We're pricing in 21 basis points. So the market's saying on balance, 25 is the default position, but we're not 100% sure about that. We'll have to see what Philip Lowe says next week in his speech. Uh, the UK, how we positioned for the 15th of December at Bank of the meeting well, the market's pricing in 61 basis points. So they're, you know, sort of veering on a 50 basis point of hike in that meeting. But there's a, a good possibility that we could get 75 there as well. So that could be pretty LIV lively. Um, and then you've got the ECB meeting coming on the 15th of December as well. So really, you know, that 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 period on the 15th of December, um, that 24 hour period is going to be pretty lively because we've got the, also got the ECB meeting on that on that day. Um, you know, so going into Christmas, it's going to be a pretty lively affair. Uh, the market's pricing in 58 basis points there as well. So yeah, we're getting into the end of the year. It's been what a year in terms of interest rate hikes from global central banks. And they're going to cap it off with probably, um, yeah, apart from the RBA, we're going to cap it off with uh, um, you know, 50 basis points around the ground. So yeah, it's going to be a, a good way to finish off the year. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in 2023. But uh, yeah, one suspects it's not going to be um, as, as, as lively. And we're probably looking more like a, a pause in that situation. So that's where we are mm. uh, on, on the rates and bond situation, Scotty. Thank you, mate. And as we look at our, our four things to focus on today, the first one, um, as you say, Bullard uh, raised eyebrows last night. Talk is, I mean, as is, is Chad implied, that we're going to get to somewhere much higher than we expected in short. Does that sort of sum it up? Yeah, it's a difficult one to do. They've got this thing called the Taylor Rule. Uh, so people out there who are who have studied economics will understand more about the Taylor Rule. But it's uh, it's one of this an academic sort of a model that you can use where you can plug in different variables, including inflation and expected inflation and various various other factors. And it kind of gives you a, a, an interest rate setting that, that should be um, in line with those factors. Um, and he suggested that, that yeah, his model said that it should be anywhere between uh, the Fed funds rate should be anywhere between 5% and 7%. 
Um, and this is kind of in fitting with what we've been seeing from various Fed members. You know, no one's really talked about it being as high as 7%, but, you know, that that's a very, what they call generous um, level of funds rates. I think most people are saying that on the Fed, like, yeah, we, we could see the Fed funds rate moving between 5 and 5.25%. Um, and that's why we did see you know, the Fed terminal pricing has moved back up to about 5% for, for the June meeting for next year. That's where the pricing is. It hasn't pushed above 5%, but we're not a million miles away from where we were pre-CPI. Uh, as you've seen there, the front end of the bond curve has moved up. So two-year Treasury is up 10 basis points. And we continue to see this, this flatter curve, you know, this deeper inversion that we're seeing in, in yield curves, which people are saying about an impending recession. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens next year on the back of that. But yeah, that's where we are. So, I mean, yeah, we did, we'd, we, we've seen terminal pricing push up to 5%, the front end of the bond curve moving up um, based on what, what he's been saying there. So we'll see. I mean, I think yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's not much data to really sort of sink our teeth into until we get into December in the US mm. and then it becomes pretty lively indeed. So yeah, uh, an interesting one. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Scott. I mean, we, we saw some volatility playing through in, in, in FX pairs and, you know, we did, as I say, saw a bit of a move in rates, but, you know, how, what have, how have clients generally traded this? What's the sort of the net position from clients on the dollar on the back of what we've been seeing here? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was flipping as ever, but now um, as the dust sort of settles at the end of the session, we see clients long mm. um, dollar and, and pretty pretty strongly so, to be honest. Yeah. Um, long dollar, short euro. Short Aussie, um, short sterling. So, um, picking a variety of weapons to go yeah, to right. go long, long the dollar at the moment. Basically, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, second thing we look at, mate, and, and flying on from that dollar to turn bid last night, but also Jeremy Hunt handed down his badge, uh, his budget. Did we see um, much reaction in sterling on the back of that? Um, not, not, not huge amounts. I mean, we did see sellers taking uh, cable down to what one fifty, one seventeen sixty two mm. on the on the trade, but then we've seen buyers playing back into the back. Um, you know, I think there's, there's things to, to slice and dice about this. I don't think the the budget was probably as disinflationary as as, as some people had been expecting. Um, you know, I think that they've they've cut uh, or it increased the bracket for. For high earners, you know, they've taken it from 150 grand to 125 grand mm. or so, you know, to get us in that 45% bracket. For, for me, as a, you know, as a strategist, I'm looking really about where the deficit lies and ultimately the guilt remit for, for, for this year and going forward. So, yeah, so that, that has big implications on, on yields because if they're issuing more bonds, then you know, the private sector now has to absorb more of them and that pushes yields higher. Effectively, that's kind of what the concern was when, when Liz Truss um, you know, handed down a budget before with, with, with Kwarteng. Um, and that's why we saw that massive sell-off in the bond market there because people are saying, you know, we're going to have to issue more gilts and effectively the private sector is going to have to absorb more of that and therefore they're going to want a higher compensation, a higher yield to do that. But what we ended up seeing was a gilt rim of this year of 169.5 billion uh, quid versus consensus in the market of about 185 billion. So that basically means, you know, there's going to be lower gilt issuance relative to where we were expecting. And that that's probably probably good news for duration. It's good news, um, you know, for, for, you know, what we've been seeing there. And I think in some ways, 
you know, you could probably say that, yeah, that that's good in the, good in some ways for the pound. Some people would see it as a, as a negative for the pound. What we did see was, you know, the pound coming off a little bit. But um, yeah, I think you're kind of at the mercy of what's happening in treasuries there. So not huge amounts of surprises playing through. I think in, in some mm. capacities, this was a less onerous budget than, than some people had been looking for. Would you have, you have you seen any kind of flow on the pound, you know, cable, euro, sterling, sterling yen? Where, where, where has it all been centered? Where's the action been taking place? And ultimately, how people position now. Um, yeah, with cable sitting at one eighteen sixty four. Yeah, we we did see a decent amount of action in in cable overnight. It was our most popular FX pair. Um, normally, that's euro dollar. But as you say, it feels like most of the action's already played out over the last couple of months, doesn't it? In that space. Um, but clients are now um, short cable and short, mm. uh, not massively so. But um, yeah, that's where they're sitting now. Um, yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing a situation on the on the daily. If you look at cable now, where yeah, we've had this really nice move up last week or so. When one thirteen into sort of you know the one one twenty handle, a few sellers into one twenty. We just seem to be consolidating. There's so many of these kind of uh, you know dollar pairs which have had a good run. You've seen the same in, in euro dollar. Yeah, you know, dollar yen came down into you know, one thirty nine or so. And we're just sort of consolidating above one forty at the moment. Dollar CAD similar situation. So we've had a big move in the dollar, uh, and now I think the market's just just sort of just moving it sideways. Probably you know if you're looking at strategies now in the dollar and the and these and these pairs. You know, you've probably moved from more of a momentum strategy to one where you're sort of taking your time frame in and trying to trade, trade intraday. Yeah, mean reversion is probably the way you're looking at this now. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, number three, commodities. I've touched on it before. Oil, in particular, under pressure. Is this? Are we saying that the China reopening play is is dying? Is dead? Uh, you know, is it recession fears again? What what what's what's driving those moves? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you have a look at the daily charts of spot crude at the moment, it's it's, it's looking pretty pretty dark to be honest. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. We mm-hmm. got we got into the double top into sort of the the ninety three well, the mid ninety threes. We tested the the highs, the sort of seventh of October highs, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, and then we've just kind of rejected that. We broke the broke the the sort of October uptrend, and now really where we're sitting on is 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 the swing low that we got back on the, on the eighteenth of October. So, you know, f- from a technical perspective, crude needs to bounce here, or we're going to be trading into seventy six bucks, perhaps even lower. Um, but yeah, I think from a demand perspective, you're talking about um, these COVID lockdowns. You know, certain certain areas are sort of showing the sort of the the highest levels of COVID since since April. Now we did see the Chinese recently coming out with a new um, plan to help property developers and and you know get them help them uh, obtain cash um, to complete projects and various other factors. But then we've also seen a slight pivot on their COVID zero policy, which everyone got really excited about, started buying Chinese assets, copper and other factors. But that seems to be dissipating now. It's coming out of the market. And you know, if you look at what's happening in crude now, it, it does appear to want to you know, trade lower. So I think we're, we're at key support now. You can see that at those, um, you know, the, the 18th October lows, um, we need to bounce off this level or, or as I say, you know, it's going to accelerate lower. So that's an interesting mm-hmm. one. And I think, yeah, maybe that, 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 that's good for risk. It could be seen as bad for risk. If it's a demand picture we talked about, yeah, it's probably bad, I guess, but, um, yeah, coppers have found a few sellers. So I, I, interesting to see where, where the action is from, from a client flow perspective, what, what your old thoughts are, Scott, I mean, a clients trying to scalp off these, off this swing low or, or, or yeah, what's, what's the situation here? Yeah, they are. Um, it's, it's been a fairly even split, but we do see clients look, looking for a bounce at this stage, mm. um, suggesting so crude oversold in, the, in their view. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, active as ever. And, and WTI, most popular. And that gas, people are still playing as well. 
um, less so Brent at the moment for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, very interesting one to play out, as you say. Yeah. Um, what about gold? Uh, it's an interesting one there as well, because we, we trade up to 1780. We thought we might get a bit of a squeeze up into the 200-day moving average at 1802. It hasn't been the case. Obviously, a bit of bid coming yeah. back into the US dollar. So a bit of outperformance in gold in Aussie dollar terms, for example, and and, and various factors. But yeah, we sort of rolled over into 1761. Um, yeah, that spike up in, in, in US real rates is probably weighing on the gold price as well. But you know, how, how are people positioned on this? Is 1780 of those kind of those highs? Is is that as good as we're going to see it for a while, or are people looking to buy pullbacks in here? People are looking to buy pullbacks. I think they're still long and still looking for that squeeze that, that you mentioned. I think, um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is Equities. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> our, our final point today, mate. Um, Equities have been lower this week, but fairly resilient, would you say? Oh, yeah, very resilient. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we European equities look really good at the moment, and, and, and they've been on fire, and I think that probably that – um, yeah, for large periods of time, the euro, the week of Europe until last week or so, is probably good for them from a from an earnings perspective. But um, yeah, if we take the US five hundred, which is, of course is the benchmark, there, yeah, we, we saw a nice breakout. Um, yeah, above the sort of the twenty eighth of October high, I thought people, yeah, maybe maybe pushing to the two hundred day moving average. You know, where's that? That's currently forty fifty four, and maybe that gives us a chance to, to to sell into. But what we're doing now is really doing not a lot. We've last five sessions, we just chopped around. Um, and maybe we've got, yeah, we had options expiring in SPY and the, in, and, and, and the queues last night, but we've got options expiring in the session ahead. And I think that's kind of interesting because if you look at the, the S&P put call ratio, it's gone absolutely ballistic. So people have loaded up on put protection. Um, and this is one of those interesting dynamics where we saw the S&P down uh, very modestly, but we also saw the VIX down. So everyone's like loaded up on on, mm. on downside protection, um, you know, Gamma's effectively kicked in. People have had to, to to hedge out their delta as a result. So it's not often you see the the, the VIX down and the S and P down together. Um, but I think that's a reflection that we've got options expiry tonight. And we maybe move to a more cleaner structure next week once we've got that out of the way. Um, and maybe the market will be free to move around a little bit because I think the way the market's positioned with Gamma, um, you know, it is volatility suppressing. So we'll see what happens. Maybe next week. Um, you, you get a much cleaner structure, as I say. But the last five days, we've really just chopped around and the market really doesn't know what to do. No one's really prepared to do so. So it's, it's one of those intraday mean reverting kind of situations. You know, personally, as I say, I'd like to see this market squeeze a little bit higher. Uh, I think I'll probably be looking at scalps into the 200-day moving average. I think that's probably the way. But uh, yeah, market very resilient going into options expiry. How are, um, how are you seeing that one? Yeah, it's a pretty even even split client-wise at the moment. It's interesting that you say that the, the shackles will be off in a sense. Um, next week, and we'll just start to see the real levels play out. That that two hundred day moving average, I, I see that um, everywhere at the moment. Is that something that we've always focused on, or is that something? Am I right in saying that's become an increasing focus? Oh, I don't know. I think people always people have always looked at it. I think what what, what matters to me, you know, but they, they say nothing really good comes below the two hundred day moving average. But what's what's interesting for me is 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 how has the market traded into this one before, right? So if you go back to um, these. 21st of April. Um, yeah, we rallied into that. We literally just, as soon as we touched it, the sellers just came straight back down and then that started the big 
downtrend into the June lows. Yeah, we then had a really nice rally back into the 200-day moving average on, on the 16th of October, kissed it, and then smacked it right back down into the October lows as well. So I know two is not a great sample size by any means at all. The statisticians would say, yeah, you can't do two, still pretty random. But go and pull up a daily chart of the S&P, and, and you can see that, yeah, the last two times we, we we had a nice rally into that bear market rally into that. Then, yeah, that was the the, the time when when sellers came in. So it has done it before. Um, mm. Yeah, twice bitten, three shy, and all that. But uh, we'll see that. And then that's the same as in euro dollar. I mean, the euro dollar's traded up to two hundred day moving average. Bang, finding sellers. You know, you've seen that in in so many different markets at the moment. So for whatever reason, maybe yeah, your old self fulfilling prophecy. But you do you do have market players who do use it. Um, as as part of their rule based situation, so there's a little bit more to, a bit more science to it than than just hocus pocus and, and and randomness. So yeah, it's just that yeah we've ran we've rallied into that a couple of times, smashed it back down. So if this is a bear market rally, which of course a lot, a lot of people are saying is 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 the case, um, yeah, well, the, the natural situation is is potentially we're going to see sellers into that average again. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look ahead this session. I'm seeing uh, UK retail sales, um, Christine Lagarde and others from the ECB speaking, Japanese CPI, any of those or any others jumping out to you? Um, I think the Japanese CPI numbers will be really in, like, interesting. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you look at what we're expecting, um, a big jump up in national headline up to 3.6% from 3%. Um, core core, which extrapolates food energy, expected to be up from one8 to 2.4%. You know, it, it, the, the pressure continues to mount on the old Japanese, isn't it? And, uh, and Kuroda mm. to change his policy. But, you know, he leaves was it, April next year. So, you know, I don't think anything major is going to change. But, of course, we're going to be speculating as macro guys um, what life will be like with a new person at the helm of the Bank of Japan. I think it's going to be one of the key themes of 2023. Um, but I is don't this, necessarily... Sorry, mate. And yeah, I was going to say the CPI number, it almost feels like this is the first one that'll give us a sort of indication of what that post-corona world might look like. Is that... Yeah, fair? exactly. I mean, I think that that there's a lot of speculation that the new person who's going to come in and, and, and I haven't really done the due diligence on who that person is at the moment, but I think there's a lot of due diligence that, that, that whoever comes in is going to have to change and tweak the policies around yield curve control and, and, and their targets and various factors. And that could have big ramifications for global bonds more likely. So yeah, that'd be an interesting one just to keep, keep, yeah, set the scene. Um, but aside from that, yeah, we're, the, yeah, Christine Lagarde could, could open up. As I say, we're, we're pricing in 58 basis points of tights from the ECB um, in that December meeting. Yeah, will she talk about QE? We have seen ECB members this week. There's been a whole whole raft of them talking at the moment. Um, and one of the focuses is on quantitative tightening and, and, and re- removing their bond purchases. You know, they've came out and basically said it's going to be the most predictable and boring QT policy ever. But we've we've seen that before from the Fed when they said it was like going to be watching paint dry. Uh, the market through then for a tantrum. So yeah, interesting one. Maybe maybe uh, listen to what uh, what Christine Lagarde says. She's not exactly the most lively speaker. Uh, so maybe one just watch the headlines. But yeah, as I say, watching that euro dollar into the two hundred day moving average. Another one which is just sort of. Yeah, had a big run um, of late and just sort of consolidating. So we'll see one there, and uh, I guess the DAX as well. So interesting there, just just on the on on the DAX and uh, Germany forty and, and some of the European markets. Where's after a big run? How 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 are people reading that one, Scott? Let's have a look. Let's have a look down the list for the Germany forty, mate. We've got clients are actually overwhelmingly long. That's one of our biggest skews. So yeah, okay. that's a good one to pick out. Yeah, something like eighty percent. Um, of our clients at the moment, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, good stuff, mate. Um, well, in terms of markets to watch, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
I'm going to stay on the Euro dollar theme. As I say, it's had a really big run. I mean, I imagine it's probably one of the biggest positions from clients. So there's one of obviously that people are looking at. It's um, you know, it's it's, it's for technicians out there. We've we've moved up to the 161 percent extension of the of the breakout level and into the 200 day moving average. So it's kind of make or break. It's it's no surprise then you are seeing a bit of chop into into that average. Um, but yeah, I just the which way it goes, who knows. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. It's, it's kind of consolidating at the moment, but I think the next move uh, will, will present itself with some really good opportunities. So that's something I'm watching. What are you watching? Uh, I've picked out Ethereum, Ether. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously that we haven't really chatted about it today, and we're mm. probably best off not going down that rabbit hole today. Uh, that's probably a whole another podcast, but. Mm. It feels to me, I mean, I could have picked out any crypto market really, but a Bitcoin, you know, if we look at that as the relatively the steadiest one in the space, the others is, you know, more volatile. Ethereum feels to me like that sort of middle ground where it's a pretty good risk indicator for the, for the crypto space, um, certainly in the moment. Uh, you know, we're obviously seeing um, big moves this week, but it does feel fairly resilient considering what we have seen. Oh, I mean, you know, if you zip, it's insane. You know, you know, we're sitting there going, this, yeah, it's Genesis to halting payments. There's other exchanges yeah. talking about this. There's this constant barrage of negative news around FTX and who's who's got exposures towards it. But yet, you know, what we're seeing in the crypto space is is, is clear consolidation in price. And you know, that yeah, we're seeing the the ranges contract. So it feels like there's a big move impending coming through up or down. We don't yeah. know, but it feels like a move is coming, right? That's right. I mean, you zoom out a bit on the chart, and and really, we're not even close to july lows let alone june lows where it was down towards mm. you know um through nine hundred dollars but you know at the same time we're talking about you know layman brothers type moments happening in that space is it going to take one, <laughs> MF one Global, more big I'd one say. to go down and mf Global, yeah, well i i just uh, say this we'll leave it we'll leave it on this one before the fact of the day um there's so much bad news being pro and and, and i think I could see a world where you could, you should really be seeing Bitcoin trading fourteen thousand, perhaps even lower, but it's not, and it's consolidating. Mm. So, you know, I think resilience is the word there, which, which, you know, a few sort of question marks around, you know, something that that, that isn't falling when it should, um, can be quite a powerful statement. So there's clear buying demand playing through. The question is, is, yeah, are you going to see a catalyst now to to cause a decent move up? So yeah, good one to to put on the radar. So yeah, really interesting that it's holding in so well when you can make an argument that we should be trading significantly lower given the news flow that we've been seeing i want to know your fact of the day before we wrap it up mr Rufford. fact of the day and um we'll book in this chat with world cup with the world cup um india uh, is qualified for the fifa world cup once that was back in 1950 however um due to a requirement to wear footwear um they refused to play and, and pulled out of the world cup uh, as they only wanted to play barefoot, as they were used to. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I can obviously tell that you've you've had some vocal strains this week. So, uh, yeah, it's good to hear yeah, you. Yeah, sorry, mate. I'm not at my peak, but yeah, great to chat to you nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll be back next week for, for more of um, Open Outcry. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers, Chris.